Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your host. Hi, everyone. Colleen McGarity here. Some of you have listened to me or met me along the way as I've been working with Jamie for a couple of years, but now I'm on board full time and I'm excited to be part of the Women's Coaches Training Program. I've been starting to implement it with my high school girls and my club team. There are endless amounts of skills, drills, and concepts. The stuff is cutting edge. It's really going to make you think and make your program better than ever. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to be back on the Inside the A podcast with Colleen McGarity. Colleen, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Um, this is another week here. Lots of snow in Philadelphia. So every day is uh, different. Wondering if you're going to have school, not have school, have sports, not have sports. So, you know, I like it, though. That's awesome. And so uh, you're getting prepared for your season? We are. Um, just starting to kind of chat with my seniors and figure out what our theme will be for the year what are our main culture concepts you know I'm a culture person Jamie I always ask those questions um and then we hopefully get started on March 1st which is not that far away no it's coming right up yeah Colorado we don't start till May that's crazy so I said that Jamie's going to be my little uh virtual assistant coach for a couple months exactly you can learn from each other you'll learn from my season and then I'll make the mistakes for you so you don't Exactly. Yeah. I love it. One of the things I wanted to chat about was an awesome podcast um, with Gabby Capuzzo. And so I had to record this because you're a high school coach and I was able to do this, but we actually had a great chat with her. So let's chat a little bit about Gabby, um, how you know her, and a little bit about some of her um, concepts and philosophies and a little bit about the Buckeye lacrosse program. Yeah, Gabby's awesome. So we go way back. We actually played basketball and lacrosse against each other, maybe even soccer too, but definitely basketball and lacrosse. Um, great athlete, fierce competitor, great player at Ohio State. We ended up playing against each other as well when she was at Ohio State and I was at Northwestern. So we were always on opposite ends of the field there, um, but always supporting each other, especially when we went into the coaching world. Um, she coached at Navy for a long time and I was at Colorado and um, I just really always valued her work ethic. She's just a go-getter. We always talk about women's college coaches and at recruiting events, she's everywhere. Like she's doing every camp. She's doing every, um, showcase. She's at every tournament. She's really putting in the work to make whatever program she's coaching better. So I'm excited to see what she's going to do at Ohio state as the new associate head coach as of this year. Well, and then, uh, yeah, as of this year, cause Amy got hired last year and she joined on this year. Yeah. And she's a defensive coordinator. What, what were your thoughts on her defensive philosophies and, and her as a defensive coach? Um, I mean, I, they were actually like spot on what I thought were both basketball um, mindset type of people. And they're pretty traditional. You can tell that she really harps on just footwork and approaching and stepping up and forcing the right way of whatever they're doing. Um, she talked a lot about, you know, it's going to depend on who they're playing, you know, which is, you know, she's changing up her, her D to counter whatever attack that they're going to play. Um, so I kind of asked a little bit about angles, you know, are they forcing out? Are they forcing in? 
and it's going to change each week. So um, are they pressuring, you know, all the way out or are they not? And once again, it's going to change each week. I bet you they probably aren't pressuring all the way out when they play Northwestern on, on Sunday because that team is fast. <laughs> I know you got to you got to get a balance between pressure and packing it in. Maybe they'll play a little zone to try to. Slow they down. might. They probably should. I don't know. And Northwestern's good, so I'm excited to see what they've got. You yeah. know, with uh, Gag leading that D for Sunday. Um, what was your takeaways on her thoughts on sort of playing two A middies versus um, A middies and D middies? Um, I thought it was interesting. It just it'll see how it changes over time. I think Ohio State's going to become stronger and stronger each year. So I think they'll start to add more two way middies um, or having A midi D midi as it goes on. But it seems like it's kind of they're just they're playing the way with what they've got. What, what their best players are. So it's not like they're have a philosophy that they want to do it one way. It's kind of, they're catering their coaching mindset to the players that they have, that they want on the field, which is great. You know, you don't want to try and put someone where they don't, you know, belong, or maybe they're not there yet. Um, but I think as they start to grow and as they get better, they'll start to add more A middies, D middies, one, two, three lines, you know, you watch Northwestern and obviously bring up Northwestern a lot. It's my alumni, but yeah. you know, they got so many people playing in the game. Amy Dimity is trying to run as fast as possible with trying to use as many tools. People deserve to be on the field. Totally. And, you know, it's funny because in men's lacrosse, you hear this every single year, and I'm sure it's the same in women's lacrosse. We want to be, we want to run two-way middies. Yeah, well, everybody wants to run two-way middies because then you don't have to worry about, you know, subbing everybody on and off. But the problem is, is that it comes down to efficiency on – the offensive and defensive end. And it's really, really hard to have your best offensive middies actually be your best defensive middies as well. And then you got to have six of them. 100%. And I, I actually, I played a little D midi at Northwestern as well. And I just remember it's like your job is, your role is hard on a college across field. You know what I mean? Imagine just having to be a hundred percent on both sides and also connect the passes in between and sprinting a hundred percent. And actually listening to the Tony Holler um, podcast you did a couple of weeks ago, like that shouldn't even be possible to like sprint that fast. Oh my God. Totally. So times. And I've always said that I'm like, you, you should not be able to do that if you're going hundred percent. Right. That's what is hard. Then you kind of train them those two way middies to be at like 60%. And when are they ever going hundred? Cause they might not have anything left in the tank. Right. And especially if you want to play multiple defenses. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. You really want to be able to play men and be able to slide from some different areas and, and then also be able to have a zone and a pressure and all that stuff. And you've got, you know, you're playing against multiple defenses. It's really, really hard. It, it's not impossible, but you got to be pretty hard special. No, there are some really fit girls out there in college across that are that, you know, make you question like, what? I thought you weren't supposed to be able to do that, but they get it done. But end of the day, it's, you know, it's a long game. Um, so I just think trying to get those fresh legs and, you know, get as many opportunities for the athletes as possible is, is awesome. Um, and then I think Ohio state will kind of change along the way. So I'm interested to see how they attack the first game and how they adjust and evolve from there. What were your takeaways from the podcast with Gabby offensively and in, in as, as far as how you'll relate it to what you want to do with Penn Charter this year, or even with triple H? Yeah, no, I mean, she definitely was into the mindset of like, 
motion and get them going and playing fast and um, being a threat from all angles, which I think took away with me the most is you don't want to just be pigeonholed to just, all right, they always dodge from behind or they're always looking to feed from behind or they only dodge from up top. So I think just being able to be a threat from everywhere on the field was huge. Um, and which I, I tell my girls all the time, I want everyone to be a threat and you need that, you know, and that's, we talk all the time, Jamie, about off ball movement. And I think you're only a threat everywhere on the field. If you have off ball movement. Totally. So like you can't be threat everywhere if you're not having those off ball people work. I know. And, and speaking of off ball movement, how do you, how do you sort of teach that and define that to your athletes? Uh, film, honestly, is like, you don't see how terrible of a job you're doing until you see yourself on film staring at the ball. Um, until you really get them to buy into that they have to watch their defender. Um, it sounds so simple, but they, they're watching the ball. They watch the ball, watch their teammate. They don't watch their defender. Um, so until you get that bought in across, you know, for all seven on attack, it, it becomes awesome. But it's, it sounds so easy, but they still don't do it. They just watch the ball. So true. Especially when you set picks and stuff, and then they're just like staring and cutting. And meanwhile, they're probably cutting right into their jamming stuff up or cutting into their defender. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do this. Remember those video assessments I used to do, Colleen? Yeah. I did it for a couple of your players. And I did this. I sort of broke down off ball into five categories. One, I think if I can remember, A was clearing space for Don. Yeah. Uh, B was like crease play. So if you're in the middle, being able to, you know, which happens a little more men's across than in women's, but being able to be in there and be able to like work together with somebody and be able to create the spacing for the Dodger. Mm -hmm. uh, C was um, two man game. D was perfect spacing on the perimeter. Uh, meaning perfect spacing in general, just like from the ball and being able to like, um, being able to just be in the exact right spot, particularly like in transitional situations where, you know, like you, you're the open player to shoot, but then you're outside the 12. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like those situations where if you were, or you're too tight to the middle yep. and then the last E was away from the ball. So that's like picking, exchanging, um, or, um, cutting the middle. And so when you kind of like look at all of these elements of off the ball, there's, yep. there's actually a lot of different things and it, it is quite difficult to teach it because I think what we mostly think about off the ball is kind of clearing space for Dodgers but mm -hmm. there's so much other stuff going on so much other things clearing space it's it's funny too because sometimes people clear space and they don't even have their head on a swivel so they're clearing space and they end up in a spot where the girl with the ball is going to end up dodging yeah it's like you just cleared into actually where she like I get your point but they just need to have that you know, you need to see where the play is going and you need to have your head on the swivel. I think just being able to see like, you know, where are your defenders going? Where are they moving? And if so, like, are you curling in the right direction? Is your stick even in a spot to catch in a score? Like, isn't that the point of your curl back cut or, you know, little things like that, which could be endless. I mean, we could pick apart. It goes on. It does kind of go on. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it's one of those things that you can show it on film but you just kind of have to get used to, like you said, seeing it and, and looking at what the defense is doing, mm -hmm. reading the space, reading the defenders, 
Um, so much of the game is just geared towards dodge, dodge, dodge that most of the off ball stuff is like, it's, we know how important it is, but it's almost just geared towards clearing space, clearing space, dodge, 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 when really so much of it, space can be cleared by just actually working together and making them guard real actions elsewhere. On the yeah. Field. I mean, think, I mean, there's seven people on attack and only one person has the ball. So it's like a lot of the time you're working off ball. Yeah. So true. Um, one of the topics we talked about with Gabby was um, preparation for her season. And she's, mm-hmm. she's still new, so it's a little different for her. But um, you were talking about preparing for your season a little bit. Um, what are some of the things you're doing as far as, you know, you said, I think you mentioned you're talking with your seniors, um, probably getting organized with like how you kind of want to plan your season. And also, what are you doing as far as just like continuing your own education? Yeah, well, I've been looking at the women's coaches training program that you have for JM3 sports, which is awesome. And just trying to figure out like, there's so much content. I need to simplify it. So I need to like, sometimes I have too many ideas and it's like, all right, let's just focus on three or four things. And it's going to be, I think I'm going to look, really look at the wildcat offense and really implement a bunch of two men on both sides and the way I structure it. Um, I'm not quite sure yet, but I want them to start watching it. So I want them to start seeing it and they need to learn from film. You know what I mean? So it's like, doesn't click with me until I watch so much film and so many drills that my players need to have that as well. If not, I think about when coaches used to coach me and I'm like, I have no idea what they're saying or like what, why I need to get there, but I'm just going to do it. But like, you need to understand the why. And then you're like, Oh, like that makes sense. So I really want to work on just like connecting with our offense on like, this is why we do these two man games. This is why you move and um, that's offensively defensively. It's just kind of making the same principles. Um, we'll probably start with man and then go to zone. I just think it's a little bit easier to start that way. Cause you kind of get right into things. And until they can get that communication down as a newer team, I put the zone in later because their communication is typically a little off in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but as Gabby said, she like, you know, has her week plan and wants what she wants to get done. Um, and, you know, we mentioned before, like working almost backwards, like we need to have this offensive end by this date. So how do you get there? You always run out of time, no matter how well you plan, but might as well try and plan a little bit, but just being a flexible to know that you might not quite get to that concept yet. I think it'd be sick if you did a webinar on planning a season and how you're sort of taking all these amazing ideas and chipping it away down to the core of what you kind of need to start with. What do you think? Perfect. Sounds good. Maybe next week. <laughs> Love. All right, everybody, we're going to get into the podcast with Gabby. Um, check this out. I think you're going to love it. And uh, we'll be back afterwards to uh, finish up. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Gabby Capuzzi to the Inside the A podcast. Gabby's the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, and uh, their season's kicking off very soon against Northwestern. Really fired up to talk some lacrosse with Gabby. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, fired up. So uh, give us an idea of how um, how the, uh, the, Buck- the Buckeyes are shaping up. Yeah, uh, well, yesterday we received some really exciting news from the Big Ten. Uh, we received our schedule. Um, so we open up Sunday, the 14th with Northwestern. Um, so we knew it was going to be an only, uh, big 10 schedule. We just didn't know who and when everything was going to pan out. So 
we have some weekends where we're playing uh, Friday, Sunday. So we'll go to Rutgers the following weekend. We play them Friday and Sunday. Um, then we have other weekends where we'll play Northwestern at Northwestern. And then later in the season, they'll come to us um, just because that's an easier drive. So we're excited um, just for the opportunity. The team was fired up yesterday at practice. Uh, just that opportunity to play because we know um, when things are taken from us, how that goes. And we just are really valuing the time together right now. Yeah, so great. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, how you uh, were preparing for the season. There's a lot of high school coaches that listen to this podcast. Um, and I was just curious how you go in to a preseason and how you plan, but how you leave yourself some flexibility to, to make adjustments along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm a big planner, so I love to write out the days, the weeks, and the months. Um, you know, I think we use the fall. So this was actually my first fall with the Buckeyes. So I joined the program in July after leaving the Naval Academy. So the fall was really a time to get to know the players for me. Um, and I kept calling it like my observation period um, to really, you know, observe the players, um, figure out what they know, their IQ levels, their skill sets. Um, and then so coming into this preseason, just having that plan of defensively, um, you know, what are the fundamentals we need to continue to build on? And then what are those skill sets that we can then bring to the big, big picture of when we get into sevens and full field and transition drills? So, um, you know, I like to kind of touch on one of each, each practice. So if it's a fundamental, a skill set, and then getting into the team defense. So I think that's always a good progression. Um, when we're practice planning, we're always talking about just progressing. And, um, you know, yesterday, if it's, if it's working on cutters of it's in a split with the defense, then we're going into a live drill with the attackers. And then obviously going into sevens where we're going to see cutters. So um, our coaching staff likes to kind of have that progress um, so we can track and see, is this something we need to go back to, or can we move forward from here? Some of the things that you had to look at in your observation period would sort of dictate how you might play. Like, can we win draws? Do we have two A middies or are we going to have to play A middies and D middies? Um, you know, these, you know, how many lefties do we have? What kind of experience do we have? How's our goaltending? How do all of these things fit into how you decide how you want to try to play? Yeah, well, it's really great because um, our head coach, Amy Bacher, she came to the program last summer, so 2019. So she had nine games before COVID uh, canceled the season. She had nine games with this team. Um, so she had a better idea and has kind of started laying that foundation of, you know, our core values and just the foundations on the offensive and defensive sides, um, which allowed myself and Taylor, our other new assistant, to come in and kind of have those guidelines and kind of have that input already um, instilled there in that foundation. So, um, so we kind of had that side, but it definitely, it was exciting to see this fall. Unfortunately, we didn't get to play fall ball games against any other opponents, mm -hmm. um, you know, but a lot of film study and just kind of being a student of the game to really observe the film after practice and kind of see that data, um, you know, of what, like where we can really, really be positive on the field and where we need to continue to work on. Awesome. Okay. Let's uh, switch gears. 
Um, you're the defensive coordinator. What, what is your defensive philosophy and how do you kind of get that um, installed as well yeah. as the specifics of how you think you're going to play? Yeah. Um, well, so something my players will hear almost every day is we need to be able to think like an attacker and think offensive minded in order to play that chess match defensively. Um, Cause if our defenders don't know what the attacker is looking for, um, you know, it's hard to know our why of why are we doing this defense or why would we slide from this angle? Um, so I always think I always start out and I think it's really important to know, you know, what does the attack want, right? They want hands-free shooting between the pipes. Um, you know, they want to get their looks depending on their personnel. So breaking it down that way, um, I think really helps our defense understand, okay, like this is why we're going to do this. If we're going to, you know, run a zone to take away certain dodges or certain looks. Um, if we're going to play a man so we can get far out and get on their hands early and kind of, um, you know, rattle them with some high pressure. Um, so I think it's always important to have a, a few different defenses um, in your pocket, um, especially for the high school level, teaching these players to be students of the game and to really understand that reasoning behind it. Um, and I think that also helps them prepare for when they do get to the college level. Um, there's zones are more prevalent now in high school, but I'll say uh, when I was back in high school, we had never run a zone. So, um, you know, I, but I played a lot of basketball. And so it's the same, same thing, same philosophy of, you know, um, taking up that space and, you know, making them shoot the three pointer instead. So, um, but yeah, I think just being flexible as a defense and being able to adjust and adapt as the play happens and as the game moves on. So um, whether whatever defense you're in, just as a coach, it's it's helpful that your your players are learning and not you know not in that they're not not progressing, right? That they're learning and watching the film is a great way for them to see. Okay, like yeah, that slide was late, and that's where you know it became very dysfunctional. So we do a lot of different drills just as the team that, you know, just working on the IQ and whether it's 4v3s, 3v2s, 5v4s, you know, any of those man up, man down games that force our attack to make quick decisions, but also force the defense to have to make quick decisions as well. Right. Yeah. Girls growing up um, don't end up playing a lot of help defense. They don't really learn to rotate because mm -hmm. they're kind of just locked on. And then, you know, all of a sudden, as you get to higher levels of play and team defense starts to becoming the norm, and especially those zones, that's why those uneven drills that require rotation, if you're four against five, you can't just play man to man, right? You, see, you have to rotate. Yeah. Um, so that's a great point. What, why do you play zone versus man, just big picture? Um, I think it depends on your personnel. Um, so what you can do or your opponent. Um, so, you know, I think a team may play a zone, uh, you know, if they're going against a hard dodging team that, you know, wants to get down the gut and is going to go hard, um, you know, on some big sweeps and ISO plays, um, at least in a zone, you feel like for your players may feel more, um, that they have that help there. Like you said, sometimes in high school, you see man, man to man defense and players are just kind of on an Island and, they're, they're being ISOed and the help slide could be like 15 yards away. Yeah. So, um, yeah, big picture. I, I just always go back to basketball. Um, our Buckeye basketball had a big win last night and 
against Iowa and I had all of our defense, um, you know, at they're at home, but watching it and just watching the slides and, um, you know, making them shoot the three. Um, so yeah, I think the zone is just a great option depending on what you want to take away. And I think that's important when you're scouting and when you're teaching your high school defense of, you know, what are you looking to take away from your opponent? Um, or, or what are you willing to give up versus um, one thing or another? Right. So the zone obviously is going to take away their dodging goals and hopefully you can take away their cuts by backside people helping in and some ball pressure. Um, it seems like the teams that play man are just athletic enough to not get beat early and then they can collapse late. It's kind of like, if you're going to need to slide early, you might as well just play zone and have the balance. So you can't, so you don't end up having six players on one side and one on the other. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I think you see some of the top, uh, top programs in the country still playing a great high pressure man um, or even a packed in man because um, they can have that on ball pressure and athleticism uh, to press out. Um, But, you know, after, you know, if, after that first defender is beat, it almost becomes like that zone because you're rotating, you have the backside shifting. Um, so essentially, you know, you have to have those man and zone principles in your pocket. Either way. Right. Yeah, I think I think it is always fun. You know, I was just watching a game from 2019 uh, yesterday and just seeing, um, I think it was Carolina, just pressed out and just the athleticism and ready to make a play on ball. So pressed out outside the 12 and, you know, just getting hands on and how much pressure that causes the ball carrier, um, you know, on the decision-making part. How do you like to play two-man game defense? Do you like to stay, switch? If you stay, do you like to push over or go under? Yeah, I think everything defensively is situational. Um, you know, we always like to talk to our defenses. You know, it's, it's not a hard line of like black and white. Like there's a big gray area defensively. Um, and it really depends on where is our ball pressure, where is our help. Um, but the two-man game offensively is always a great option. I think there's so much creativity for an attacker or for those two attackers to create and be playmakers just out of, you know, a simple pick, slip, um, fake, fake flip, fake the pick, um, and just an opportunity to really see how an attacker has that creativity and then the IQ off of it um so defensively once again we go back to thinking like those attackers and um you know where where is our backside help coming from but um you know i think really the big thing we talk about in the two man is the trust so trusting the on ball and then the trust of the communication from the player that's off ball who's going to be directing and um giving that directive communication yeah cool um all right let's switch gears a little bit um to transition rides and clears first of all how do you distinguish whether you guys are riding and clearing versus transition defense or transition offense because i feel like a lot of times that's that's a gray area that can really lead to giving up easy goals if you all of a sudden your defense is kind of pressing out and the middies are coming right down your throat it's tough yeah. Um, well, you know, our, our staff loves the ride and clear because it's, you know, it's the two times on the field that you have all 12 players really working in unison. Um, and I think the ride is the ride is all mentality. 
and it's always it's amazing to see the attackers who you know what to do when we don't have the ball and how hard are we working to get that ball back um so we stress a lot in the ride um and i know gino oriema up at uconn um his big philosophy is like how hard are you working when you don't have the ball and uh that's something i love love to see when we have all 12 of us shifting rotating um, you know, trying to get the turn backs to have the double coming, um, whatever it may be, but to see all 12 working as a unit um, and just like amping up that pressure, taking off time off the possession clock. Um, but yeah, so we, we do practice the ride a lot. We also do practice, you know, a lot of just transition drills of five before six v five trails coming in from the box. Um, I think it's important that we're practicing you know, something, the ride from a clear, but also the transition of, okay, there was a turnover at the 50 and now we're getting back in. So um, really trying to hone in on like those game scenarios of what would be realistic. Interesting. Um, are you guys playing A mids and D mids or two way mids? Um, ideally we would love to play two way mids. Um, you know, the big 10 has a lot of strong two way midfielders, um, you know, and, keeping them on the field um, keeps all 12 of us in that ride and in that clear. So, um, you know, but I do think there's a time and a place for the A mid and D mid. So um, depending on what those looks are, um, you know, is it more valuable to have this person on the field for just offense or this person on the field for our defense? Um, I think that's kind of a game to game, opponent to opponent um, strategy that we'll talk about as a staff. Yeah, and it's kind of a depth thing too because if you're going to play two-way mids and then you're going to have to have a couple lines of really good two-way mids. And yeah. it's hard to be that good on defense and that good on offense, especially when you're spending 50% of your time on each. Whereas mm -hmm. if you got A mids, they're spending all of their time knowing the offense, you know? And when you start going against all these zones and stuff. I only bring it up because it seems like in men's across, everybody wants to play two-way middies. And then when the push comes to shove, it, it's not as easy as you would like it to be. Yeah, I, I've done both. So it's it's fun to always have, like if you have that fifth strong, strong defender, that's more valuable on the field than maybe a midfielder playing defense. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's whatever's going to put your defense or offense in the best position possible and ultimately your team. Yeah, for sure. But it definitely helps the riding and clearing to be able to leave people on, right? Yeah. Huge. How much do you think the um, killing clock you talked about, like the turnbacks and the doubles and the shifting and make them killing their clock on their possession? Um, how, what do you, what's your, you know, is there like a goal? Try to like, you know, knock off 20 or 30 seconds or something like that. And, and have you noticed, have you studied any of the efficiencies when, when somebody clears it in 10 seconds versus if they clear it in 30 and what the, what the difference um, in offensive efficiency is? Um, well, I think for us, like, getting them to just switch the field, um, not exactly a set time on the shot clock, but just having them have to shift, switch the field for us to shift allows us to get the backside in um, and to get ready for our settled defense. So, um, you know, I think that's why we really pride our attackers on, you know, going all out, whether it's 15, 20, 30 seconds um, and riding hard all the way to the 30. Um, just to give us that time to get in, get settled. Um, and then, you know, men the mentality of an attack um, and an offense that has short time, you know, will work to our advantage. Yeah. 
So it's such a great concept. Just in your ride, if you can just get them to have to switch fields, you've, you've done a pretty good thing and, you, and, and you, you, you made it harder for them. They might throw it away on that. You might be able to recover and make them do it again, but that's a, that's a great way of thinking about it. I love that. Um, all right, let's switch gears and talk a little offense. Um, how do you guys like to play on offense? I know you're going to see all different defenses, so it's kind of hard to say, but just uh, what are some of the main sort of overarching principles that you've been thinking about? Yeah, I think, you know, in any offense, um, you know, you have to have playmakers and chemistry um, and you have to have players who are willing to dodge and dodge to create. Um, you know, you see the top programs in the country have dodgers who are going hard and always a threat. And then out of that dodge, whether they're getting the shot off or hitting a cutter um, or kicking a backside just to cre create and initiate that ball movement. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever that strategy may look like, whatever that motion or sets, um, you know, I think starting with a hard dodge, starting with two or three players who, you know, are going to make, make those plays and, you know, take what the defense gives them. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, about offense lately and, you know, we all grow up learning sets, you know, put them in sets and, or we have motions that we're teaching. But, but then when you think about these things like hard dodges, um, taking good shots, swinging the ball, you know, switching fields on offense too, right? Um, getting, you know, two-man game off ball, uh, creating space for the dodger, occupying, right? These are all the, there's probably, I don't know, 15 of them that are really, really important. And yet sometimes, and I've been thinking about this, I want to get your opinion. Sometimes we get so enamored with our set that, that the principles of the set come first, even though we know that these principles of creating space for the Dodger, dodging hard, moving the ball when you draw two, all these things are the most important things. And it sometimes makes me believe that you could really focus on all those things and let, let the set take a backseat to the principles. And I'm curious how you guys, I'm sure you do this anyways, in one way, shape or form. Just curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. Um, at the end of the day, it's just lacrosse and we're just playing sports the same way we've been playing, you know, whether it was monkey in the middle growing up, defender slides, you're going to have recognition and awareness of who you're passing the ball to. So, um, you know, as a coaching staff, we love to just get our players, um, you know, playing freely and less thinking. I yeah. think a lot of times, you know, like you said, they get stuck in the sets and they get tunnel vision of just playing lacrosse. Um, so I think a great way um, for high school coaches, especially to instill this is, you know, we play Olympic sixes. So just fun, fun games to get the team up and down. Um, you know, even if it's like King of the Hill, 4v4, just where they're not in any kind of set, but they're just playing lacrosse and playing freely and working on those, you know, working on the two man or, you know, working on that GLE dodge that may be a part of a set or emotion, but um, not getting so stuck in those guidelines and just, you know, taking what the defense gives them. And I think it's, it's fun. It's fun when you see an offense, especially just playing out of that freelance and just being creative and seeing, seeing that talent really shine and that IQ factor. And allowing the players to come up with their own solutions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, as far as two-man game on offense, um, what are your guys – what's the Buckeye philosophy on playing two-man games on ball and off ball? 
Yeah, I think, you know, we have, um, you know, we have some great Dodgers, we have some great talented attackers. And once again, it comes down to that creativity. Um, and I think as coaches, we want to give our athletes all over the field that freedom to be creative. And, you know, like you said, to have those solutions. So, um, you know, the two man is such a strong, strong part of our game now, and you're seeing it across the country. Um, but just not only having the two man occupying defenders, but also what's happening now on the backside. Or, you know, if we don't get the two man look, are we kicking it? Do we have cutters? Um, and are we able to go now from the other side? So, um, not just two players working, but all seven of us working in sync to create and occupy those off-ball defenders and then have those other looks as well. How important is it, in your opinion, to swing the ball from one side of the field to the other, attack one side, get it to the other side? Yeah, I think it's so important. And I always think from a defensive side on this, uh, you know, it's tough when a defense, when an attack flexes the D through X or through the top. Um, cause we're asking now for our entire defensive unit to shift and strong side now becomes weak side. And, you know, it's now it's flexing our D so offensively, you know, we know we can get looks, um, with quick ball movement through X looking to find that backside shooting space is something you could always find if that two V one is back there, but, um, you know, also just getting the defense on their heels and quick ball movement, not having them set and then being able to attack uh, when they're not ready. One of the things that I think is so important on offense, <clears throat> and, I, and I think it's one of the hardest things for some young athletes uh, to grasp is the importance of slowing down when you have the ball. Mm -hmm. Being a great dodger doesn't mean you're going fast all the time. It's, 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 harder, to, it's harder to beat people sometimes, or you're going to run into people if you're doing that, um, I want to get, get your opinion on the concept of really slowing your man down and then therefore slowing the whole defense down, because when you slow down, everybody has to slow down. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a time and a place when you're going to push and push and push. And then there's a time and place, um, you know, it's all about the game and clock management, but um, you know, our, our players work a lot with our strength coach on that change of speed and change of direction. And I think that is really important for high school coaches. Um, you know, a lot of times we see just the fastest player when we're recruiting is just trying to go a million miles a minute right to cage with right. no change of speed and no change of direction. And ultimately it ends in, you know, a charge or, um, or someone's getting hands on that shot because they're not really getting a great angle because they're just very linear. Um, so, yeah, I think it, you know, I do think slowing it down is fine, um, depending on your your game plan and how the game is going. Um, and slowing it down doesn't mean actually like slowing the ball a million, you know, like going super slow as we pass around, but um, just controlling that pace and tempo. Right. Um, I think, you know, a lot, of, a lot of teams, a lot of the top teams do that. Um, you know, they may get the draw, look for the fast break, don't have it even though they're slowing it down, the pace of the ball is still whipping around. They're still spinning it um, and occupying off ball. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's slowing down. It doesn't mean you, you have to slow down the whole game. It just means like literally it's more like dodging like basketball. Mm -hmm. Basketball, you don't take a run at somebody because you're just going to run into traffic. In basketball, you get really close to them and you jab, 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 get them off balance, go. 
yeah. hesitate. And that's kind of what I was talking about. Like the basketball players do this naturally because you have to in that environment. And lacrosse players growing up, they can just run, use all their speed because they're really not allowed to get checked. You know, you know, the high school level of, you know, rules is not that close to the college level of rules as far as the way you can play on ball defense, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point to look at it. Yeah. I like the, I love basketball. So I love, um, I love all the analogies, but yeah, like the jab and go isn't happening from half court. Um, no. And that's, and that's a lot of the dodges you see in the high school and youth levels. Yeah. Love hearing about all these on the field, you know, tactics and X's and O's. Um, but I'd like to change the topic to um, recruiting for a little bit. Um, and it's been a crazy year for recruiting in the sense that you couldn't watch anybody play live since President's Cup 2019. Yeah. So how did you guys handle that as far as getting prepared for September 1? Um, how do you feel about not having been able to see these kids uh, very much that you've committed and how are you going to move forward um, for the 23s and the 22s to kind of continue your evaluation? And what did you learn? I know it's a lot of questions, but. Yeah, um, I love recruiting. So I love to get out. And Colleen knows I love to like go work camps. I love to be on the sidelines of high school games, club games. And I love that personal interaction with the coaches. And then that opportunity when you're coaching a camp um, to really get to know the players. So this was definitely a struggle for me, just, um, you know, being an extrovert and someone who wants to help grow the game and, you know, develop these players and get to know them and their coachability. Um, so, yeah, we had to kind of take a step back and, you know, kind of evaluate, okay, what's going to be our process? Um, so Taylor and I both got hired on here in July and then uh, we were starting to prepare for September 1st. So, um, luckily we all, uh, Amy had, you know, her list and Taylor and I had our list that we had brought from, um, working camps in January and then president's cup. So, um, we felt really solid about, you know, having a good gauge of players and watching that film. Um, you know, it was definitely unique of, okay, we're going to call on September 1st and then what? Um, cause this was uncharted territory for all of us. So um, but once again, we went back to, you know, what matters most are those personal connections. So really, you know, those relationships and getting to know the club coach, um, getting to know the high school coach, and then obviously getting to know the recruit and their families. Um, and that was something, you know, believe it or not, on a Zoom that we really felt we were able to connect um, and on FaceTime and several phone calls. Um, so although it was unique, um, in a way, we did feel we connected even more at times with these recruits than as if they were just coming to campus for a camp in the summer and like we would give a campus tour and maybe that was it. Um, so there was that side. Um, I think what made it tough for these student athletes was uh, the ones who had never been to campus before. And, you know, they had to some, I had heard that some players hopped in the car and drove to campuses the day after September 1st. So um, you know, not knowing that this pandemic was going to happen, uh, you know, the student athletes who had visited a bunch of camps or campuses last year, um, I felt set themselves up to make those decisions a little easier. Um, but for us, you know, moving forward, we learned a lot about our staff and 
you know, we had great support here at Ohio State for creative services to help put together graphics and slides and videos um, to help portray our, um, our program and our university. So, um, you know, I think the Zoom is kind of here to stay. Um, in a way, I think as we start to go, you know, look for the 23s and hopefully get out to camps and get out to tournaments, um, I do think the Zoom could be something that is use, utilized more when September 1st rolls around um, before those student athletes start taking unofficials and official visits. So in, um, yeah, in a way we're all zoomed out, I think, but I think it's here to stay. And I think it's a great resource for us to really get to know um, recruits and their parents and coaches, but um, I'm excited to get back on the field. I wanna be out there. I remember texting some friends, like I would love to be on 110 degree turf right now, like baking and coaching and, um, you know, getting to see my other coaching friends and my club coaching friends and, you know, really getting to actually teach and coach, um, you know, so I think, you know, we talk about things that we may have taken for granted or, um, you know, things we're looking forward to are definitely getting back out um, to those coaching opportunities. So. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be out there this summer and hopefully we can have camps um, on campus as well. So Colleen, that was such an awesome podcast. I, I love Gabby and I can't wait to see uh, the great things that they're going to do at OSU. Yeah, same. She's awesome. And I'm, she's just so dedicated and really passionate. And I think you can just tell that by you know meeting someone, seeing what they're all about. She bleeds Ohio State or the Ohio state, as she would correct me, um, yeah. you know, but she just loves it. And she really wants the girls to get better and she wants to learn as well. So kind of really excited to see what they can do. For sure. Let's uh, finish up this podcast on the topic of college lacrosse recruiting. One of your favorites, um, where's your head on? What are you thinking about these days um, about recruiting? Any, any uh, new thoughts on anything? Uh, I really just want the girls to, get into watching themselves on film. We've had the opportunity to film so much. So I always try and find the silver lining and the positive of whatever, you know, this pandemic and what's kind of affected their process. And the 23s haven't really been affected yet. They need to like not dwell on anything. They got great film, they can learn from it. And then hopefully when they get in person this summer, they're gonna be better than ever. Cause there might've been the only class to slow down for a second and watch themselves on film. Right. Um, so, you know, they're making highlight reels but I keep emphasizing to watch the whole game and really like how are you going to get better so that like your highlight reel becomes hard to make because you have so many good clips to choose from um but no I'm excited just they everyone needs to the coaches are excited to get back out there so if they're taking their time right now it's because they're hopeful the dead period's going to be over when they say it is and they'll be back out there at these camps and when you get to these camps you you know you got to be prepared you can't you know, wait for the dead period to be over and then start your work. It should have already started. What's your uh, prediction on when the dead period, dead period actually ends? Um, well, I always have some inside scoop with my friends here and there, but there was a thought that it might turn into a quiet period first um, if the virus kind of stays the way we're at. So quiet period means they can do camps and clinics, but they might not necessarily still be able to go to the tournaments. So if it goes to the quiet period, it's kind of best case scenario in my mind, because at the tournaments, they get to play, you get the film, you know, you're not playing in front of the million coaches and then you still get the 
in-person coaching and evaluation with these college coaches, whether it be during the week or the night before a tournament or something like that. Once again, it's not the best case scenario, but I was like, oh, that's a great scenario. Yeah. But, you it's know, I think it's, yeah, it's better than nothing. And I think it's pretty cool. I kind of liked when we were playing in the tournaments without the coaches being lined up on the side. So they're not like looking over like every single time they make a mistake or like, ah, oh, I lost my chance. I dropped a ball, you know? So it's just like having them relax a little bit. And I like, you know, threatening my girls a little bit. Hey, you're on film. So every single thing matters. You can't just like play when that coach walks over. Yeah. It's like they watch that whole game. Right. I feel like um, I totally I agree. It is better. I, um, I think the hardest thing with film is it's really hard to see just how athletic some kids are and how much burst they have. And they might not look as fast on film or it happens all the time. I mean, if you, when you're preparing to play somebody that's got a great player and you've been watching film all week mm -hmm. and then you finally go against that player and you're like, man, that girl is a lot faster than I thought she was. And you can't really judge it on film. That's the issue with no really? person, you know, recruiting. We were talking the other day about, you know, one of our athletes and it was just like, my response to you was going to be just like, it's really hard to gauge speed on a camera. It, it just is like, I was like, I know that girl's fast. She doesn't even look that fast in this drill. So it's like Harding. And then it's like, all right, we were trying to prove that this girl is fast. So we're trying to find ways to prove it. And then until you get to see her in person, you're like, oh, wow, she can move. Yeah. But you might've had this whole other mindset about her just because of the way she looked on film, but yeah. totally. And that's where you need these advocates. And that's where you need, you know, to find different ways to like what we're doing to help people. Like we know this girl's fast. So how are we going to get it on film to show that she's fast? Right. Um, but you're right. I, and I said, I think coaches don't want to just rely on film. They want both. So if they can take the game film and then coach that kid that week at a camp, perfect. Then they'll be able to, you know, trust their gut instinct, really get that eye contact, really be like, all right, I, this kid has what it takes or, or, I, you know, they're a project or maybe not for me. Yeah. And the, the element of coaching them in person at your camp is so important because you can get to know them. You can see how coachable they are. Um, how important is that relationship piece and in, in the piece of the, that interaction? I think it's everything. I mean, it, you meet a kid and you can just tell, you know I mean? Like, all right, I like this kid. Or you're like, hmm, maybe. And then that kid really grows on you throughout the drill or um, you can just tell their energy. I'm just a big, you know, the way they hold themselves, the way that they're talking to their teammates, the way, you know, just little facial expressions, just the way that they're, you know, reacting after they make mistakes. Um, you're seeing that in-person reaction and, whether they're going to, you know, keep their head up and go after it or put their head down, you know, little things like that, that just matter. Um, and you can really tell physicality as well, which is huge. Like, right. oh, that person's going to be growing into a very strong athlete, um, which you can't see as much sometimes for those younger players on film. Right. I think the only thing that those prospect days can't give you is necessarily, sometimes they can give it to you more than others, but is high level, competition slash team play 100 so i think there's nothing worse than getting put in a group where you can't use your skills maybe you're not a 
really fast dodger, you are a feeder and no one's catching your passes or no one's cutting at the right time. Um, it's hard. It's hard to find that chemistry. It's hard to find that, you know, that skill level that is team offense that becomes ultimately all across, which is funny with the way you recruit, you never really find that unless you find teams that really gel well together. And, um, you see that, but you're right. That's the hard thing about camps and those clinics is if you're put on a bad group or not with someone you're connecting with, it's hard to shine. So you got to find another way to stick out. So whether it's like your stick works great or, you know, you can always have a good attitude and you can always keep working and coaches will see you're looking to write that, make that pass or still feed that ball where it should be fed, even though that person might not be catching and finishing. Um, yeah. It's also tough too, because when there's a tournament and it's live recruiting, and I might've mentioned this before. So if I did, you can cut me off, but when it's live recruiting coaches tend to try to go see everybody and their word gets out of, Oh, this one kid's pretty good on so-and-so team that may not be a team that you would necessarily think of, mm -hmm. but because it's all right, well, I don't have anything to do. I'm waiting to go see a triple H game next hour. Maybe I'll just watch this team that I've never even heard of. And then you're like, man, that girl's really good and athletic. And all of a sudden a player's stock can begin to rise. And then all of a sudden everyone's talking, man, that girl's an athlete. Um, when it's on-demand viewing, that team probably never gets looked at. And that's one of the issues with all film, no in-person. 100%. I think there's a couple of Northwestern athletes that Kelly just walked by their field and was like, I'm going to go watch that girl just got the way she looks, you know, like, um, and you don't get that in film. Um, so that's the hard part is just that, like, all right, you're catching someone's eye versus speed, great catch. You know, they're just happen to be walking by. Um, totally. So that is, I'm just excited to get back out there and, you know, people like Gabby are out there all the time, just trying to find those girls, whether it's on the top teams or the lower teams and just trying to find what fits their program. And there are some sick 22 still out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, really good. Athletic skilled. There's a lot of top teams yeah. that just recruited three and they're like, I'm either going to keep it at three or I'm going to wait to find those last two. Yeah. It's um, I think all those 22s got to, got to know that college coaches are, they're going to need to turn the page to watch 23s, but I think they're all going to, at least in the first few weeks of the summer, they're all going to watch their commits. Mm -hmm. And yep. I kind of wonder if they're not going to start watching everybody else's commits. Uh, I think they definitely will. I just think, you know, it's happened in the boys game you're verbally committed. You're not really bound to anything. So, you know, you might've missed someone. I think coaches are going to go out there and just be like, Hey, we're interested. Yeah. Not trying to step on your toes. Just let me know if you would be interested in taking a look. And why does that impact the 22s that are uncommitted? Well, because they're going to be looking at you competing against these kids that they committed and you might be better than they are. Yeah. Uh, so now I do think for those 22s though, um, to the, the opportunity, if, if, if they have a dream school, that's full, you know, it's never a bad idea to just say, Hey, listen, I'd come as a 23. Um, how prevalent do you think that's going to become with, with like a coach that like legitimately loves this player, but is full, but would take her in the next class. Yeah. I mean, I just think you need to weigh how important that is for you. If that's your dream school, it's one year, you know what I mean? It's one year where you either repeat or take a gap year or whatever it is to go to your dream school. I think it's worth it. So 
definitely something to consider. It happens in boys all the time. Boys repeat, boys PG. I think it's starting to become a little bit more um, familiar on the girl side, which I think if it helps you get to your dream school where you want to be, go for it. It's one right. of the biggest decisions of your life. Totally. And just especially with the pandemic going on for a couple of reasons. One, because you might've just gotten, might not have gotten a really fair shake of being seen, but also, um, you know, I don't know if everybody wants to be entering school (laughs) with five classes of recruits for like four plus years. And when I say four plus years, because the Ivy league, they're not playing. Those kids all have anybody that was a thing about this. Anybody that was in 2019, We'll have four years of eligibility when they enter junior year. Ivy League. Yes. Four years. They'll have four years to play for every single Ivy League kid. Now, they're not all going to do it, but and they might not even be able to stay at their Ivy League school for more than two or three, depending if they took a semester off. But eligibility. Think about that, though. Yeah. So, you know, so the Northwesterns and the Notre Dames and the Carolinas and all these schools that are like, you know, basically Big Ten and ACC schools that also have great graduate programs, you know, their rosters are huge and they're dense with like first team all Americans coming to your roster as a fifth year with a couple years of eligibility. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Just, I was even looking at UNC's roster the other day. I'm like, holy, everyone is just high school American, college all American. It's just so strong and it's going to stay that way for a couple of years. And you're right. So it's just got to you know, really be smart about your decision. Like you don't want to rush anything. It might be better to take your time for this to kind of like play out a little bit. I'm even looking at some of my 23s and being like, you look so young because you haven't played, you haven't played a high school game. Yeah, totally. It's crazy. So I'm like, you're good, but like, you just haven't really played high level across yet. Yeah. You played club and it's great. High school is just different. You get the, you get every day with them. You get to really build that IQ. You get to build an offense club team, you know, rarely is the whole entire group there where you're putting in an offense. Like I kind of teach my club girls to, to play a, you know, an unselfish game of lacrosse in club and concepts and, you know, fundamental drills, but in high school, you get to really harp on the two man harp on like little things together for six days in a row club. You get them what two days a week, maybe. Yeah. 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 High school. Uh, that was a big loss for those kids. Um, for all of them really yeah. you know, not getting a chance. Well, Colleen, awesome insights on recruiting. Um, fun podcast. Love talking lacrosse with you. love working with you. Fired yeah. up to uh, get that women's coaches training going. We had a couple signups recently, including a PAC 12 program. Ooh, nice. And, uh, former friend, uh, former Wildcat friend of yours. Anyway, yeah. um, really, uh, really excited to be working with you and um, we will chat soon. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Carl. Bye. Yeah. That was cool.